This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. I have a question for you. How much are you willing to spend on the creators you love? When you think about what you're already shelling out for on-demand entertainment with Netflix, Spotify, Disney+, Apple Music, HBO Max, Hulu, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, how do content creators fit within your budget? It's a question that I was curious about, so we conducted a poll to get some answers. This is Creative Control. I'm your host, Casey Finey. Each week, I'll be unpacking the driving forces and people shaping the creator economy and what it all means for its future. To figure out how much you're willing to spend on content creators, we worked with market research firm Harris Poll. You can check out the full results online, but I wanted to highlight a few stats that really stood out to me. When it comes to more mainstream on-demand platforms like HBO and Netflix, 73% said they were subscribed but only 20% said they were subscribed to creator-focused platforms like Twitch, Patreon, and Substack. Also, in the past year, more than 50% of people canceled a paid subscription to creator platforms, with 42% saying they'd rather just spend their money on something else, and 41% saying there wasn't enough content to justify a subscription. To help me unpack these results, I reached out to Anthony Alfaldano. Anthony is a VP of Sales, Marketing, and Insights at Fandom, which is a massive platform for entertainment fandoms. A few months ago, the company put out their annual state of streaming report that dives into fan behavior and spending habits. So it was interesting to compare our results with theirs to get a better understanding of where content creators sit in this larger entertainment ecosystem. So to start, I asked Anthony straight up, what do fans want right now? Yeah, it's an interesting question. It's it's something that we've been digging into quite a bit because with all the choice that's out there right now for people and with all of the platforms and all the different ways that you can get entertainment, in some ways, you've got this paralysis of analysis where people don't even know where to dig in. Like they just go back to home base and the things that are most comfortable for them. Um, but I think I'm guilty of that. <laughs> oh, believe me. Absolutely. I just, the, the amount of shows that I just rewatch because I'm like, I'm just paralyzed. I don't know what to, I'm so afraid to start something new that I'm like, let me just like rewatch. Like, I don't even like, know what to make for hey Arnold or something. Nights, let alone like what, what show I need to lean into or what game. Right. Um, but I think we're also seeing the opposite happening where when people find a thing that they love, they go all in. And I think mm. from a creator perspective, that's one area that's really interesting that I found your your research really interesting. It's, you know, I find this person's perspective and I want more because they reflect my personality, because I identify with the way that they talk about the world or what they share. And that personal identification, that sense of identity, I think is a big part of what people are bringing to the table these days when they're making these decisions. Mm, right. And, you know, Fandom put out its second annual state of streaming report earlier this year. And I have my opinions on what findings stood out to me, but I'd love to hear from you first. So walk me through some of your highlights from the study that Fandom put out. Yeah, absolutely. So I think what we were looking at in that study is something that's on a lot of our clients and partners' minds, which is just retention. Choice absolutely has skyrocketed in the last few years. It used to be that you were choosing between Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon Prime. And then within about 12 to 24 months, we added Disney and Paramount and Peacock and Apple TV 
and, 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 and. And then on top of that, you've got gaming subscription services and cloud-based gaming services. You've got services like OnlyFans and Cameo and um, Twitch uh, Premium. And like, so the entertainment dollar is getting taxed more than it ever has. And we found that people certainly are leaning in and they're subscribing to more services than ever before. But there's this unrest bubbling just below the surface there where, you know, about 70% of the people that we surveyed are frustrated with how many subscriptions they need to keep up with their favorite entertainment. They hate the fact that like, oh, I heard about this other great show. Now that's another $10 a month. 78% of those people are also seriously considering canceling the subscriptions that they're not actively using. And so there was this really interesting tension in our state of streaming research that we did where people were saying, the thing that's gonna keep me on your service is the depth of your content, your library, how much stuff you have for me. And then you ask them, well, all right, but why did you cancel? And they said, well, I watched everything I wanted to. <laughs> I was like, all right, so we can have a million things for you to watch. doesn't matter. Once you watch right. the three shows that you're into, you're going to go away. What do you glean from that? Because I find that really interesting because I, I feel like the model for a lot of these platforms is like, okay, let's go broad with like, let's have a little bit of everything for everyone. And it sounds like what you found in your report is that like people just swoop in, consume what they want, and then they're kind of done with it. So is the answer like more niche streaming services? Like, because I know that there's a lot that there's like what, you know, Shutter and things like that just like cater specifically to horror fans. And so I guess like, what can you glean from that from the people that are like, I only want what I want and then I'm out. Yeah. So, so we did a deep dive into why people subscribe to the services they do and all the different things that they ascribe to those services. Mm -hmm. And what we found was there's a lot of parody. No one really sees differentiation between the services, but the area that's most important in differentiating and keeping people locked in is genre. If I look at Disney, Disney's cornered the market on Superhero content, they've cornered the market on sci-fi content. You know that if you subscribe to them, you're getting a certain type of product mm. and it's going to be reliable. You'll get more Star Wars. If you like Star Wars, you're going to get tons of Star Wars. If you like Disney princesses and characters, you're going to get tons of that content. Netflix, really successful platform, but we've seen their subscribers drop off. And I can't tell you where they're really strong or where they're leaned in, right? Mm. I don't think they have as much brand awareness there. Now they've made efforts to carve out niches around comedy, to carve out niches around anime. To me, they almost need to double down on some of those things. So people really think of them for those categories because there are those services that have done it really well. And then there are those services that just haven't been able to give people a sense of what they get from their subscription. All the money that these platforms have spent on recommendation engines, and it's still really like, word of mouth and awareness that's getting people to tune in and getting people to subscribe. And where do you see social media and creators factoring into this landscape of more traditional entertainment? Yeah, I think it's very similar in the regard that like people want to know what they're getting. I think there's that initial spark of like, hey, I recognize that this is a voice that I really like or that video was really funny. You start to watch it and it starts to become more of your frame of reference and something that you identify with. And so, yeah, I'll pay for the Patreon. I'll pay for the, you know, the next level to get additional content. And part of that is just like, I like this and I think I'd like the additional stuff. Once they get in, 
a vast majority of those people, and this is backed up from your study, are saying, all right, well, there's not enough content in here for me, or I don't really like what was behind the wall. Like, it's almost that not knowing what they're going to get by logging in. So you're going to get the initial bump of the subscriber, and then ultimately you're going to get someone after a month or two saying, all right, I can't be spending this much of my entertainment budget on this person because they're just not giving me the value that I get elsewhere. No, yeah, absolutely. And from our findings, that's one thing that really stuck out to me. It was like, you know, that 53% of people said that they had canceled a paid subscription to a creator-focused platform like Patreon, Twitch, Substack. And the top two reasons were that they either wanted to spend their money on something else or there wasn't enough content to justify the subscription. So it's like either you're boring me or you're not producing enough. In your opinion, like, what do you think it takes to like not only build a fandom, but keep them around? It's funny because you talk about the difference between like the traditional creators and that huge infrastructure and all of the resources and research and like they're not super great at it either. Right. <laughs> I don't know if you've been on social media when a new Marvel project comes out or when like people just absolutely crush it. This isn't what I expect. They've lost right. the plot. Right. So I think you're seeing the same exact phenomenon playing out at a bigger scale with some of these bigger properties. People signed up for a reason. They signed up because they find some sort of recognition. They find they signed up because the plot or the characters were meaningful to them in some way. And it's kind of like being in a long-term committed relationship, right? You're not the same person when you're done watching this stuff that you were when you started. You want the show to evolve in a, in a meaningful way or the channel or the content to evolve. You want to feel like you're going along in a journey, but at the same time, you also want that comfort of familiarity. And it's a really delicate tightrope walk for a lot of these creators to get through, right? Like, how do I be true to what people love about me, but also continue to deepen it and continue to offer new ways to experience and love the content? I am a comic fan going back 30 plus years. And it's something that I think is the magic of comics is this constant sense of there's always change and there's always a new status quo but it's always familiar and it always feels like the thing that I picked up when I was six that I fell in love with. Mm. I don't know that anyone else has really gotten that right yet. Right. I'm not saying comics are perfect by any means, but that is one of the things that I love about them is that they do have that balance struck of there's always something new. There's always a new jumping off point, mm. but it also still kind of scratches that itch and that same thing that made me fall in love with it when I started. Okay. And yeah, another part of the polling that we did that stuck out to me was the fact that when it came to traditional streaming services, 73% said that they were currently subscribed to, you know, of course, HBO Max, Netflix, sure. Disney Plus. But when it came to creator platforms like OnlyFans, Patreon, Twitch, only 20% said they were subscribed. My theory behind that, and I'd love to get your opinion on this, is that oftentimes these creators are building their platforms, building their audience for free. And then they have to convert the audience that they build into saying like, hey, could you pay for this? Because when it comes to like Patreon, like obviously probably most people probably started on Instagram or Twitter, they're just like, you know, posting content, whatever. Then once they got a big enough fan base, it's like, okay, so I can probably earn some revenue off of this. And I think that conversion factor of like, we were so used to getting this for free is kind of hard for some audiences to say like, to understand like, oh wait, now I have to pay for this. So yeah. I, that's sort of my theory on it, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on why you think there is that big discrepancy between people willing to pay for these traditional streaming services, but not necessarily being willing to pay for 
creator-focused platforms. It is always easier to discount your prices than increase them. Always, mm. right? And so I think you're you're kind of hitting it, the nail on the head. As someone who came from news media, where we introduced subscription models, yeah. where all of our content was open and free, and then we had to convert some of those people into paid subscribers, demonstrating the value and getting people to understand why they're paying more and what they're getting is really hard. It's really hard because you're mentally just preconditioned to say, all right, well, if I get this for free, I'm going to get what I need from it. Like I was already getting value and I was already liking what I got for free. And almost if, if you put that value behind the paywall, it feels like you're taking something away. Mm. You know, creators need to get paid. Creators need to fund all the great work that they're doing. But in the way that you introduce that content, you're almost breaking the, the implicit contract you have with the person who's watching and following you. And so, you know, I look to the way that, you know, my old companies and other people in the industry created value and got people to subscribe. And that's, it's exclusive. You can't get it anywhere else. We'll allude to it. We'll share maybe the top end of it. But for those people who are really deep, if you want to follow the lore, if you want to follow characters, if you want my deepest, darkest thoughts and secrets, you have to be a part of the Patreon. And, you know, I think it's an area that you almost flip it on its head when we look at streaming. There's been a lot of talk of ad-supported streaming services, right? And you would think that if every streaming service offered ad-supported content, that everyone would just say, fine, I'm not going to pay for streaming anymore, just give it to me free. And we saw about half of streaming customers say, yeah, if you gave me a free version of the, the paid subscription that I have now, I'll do it. But three services, Disney Plus, Netflix, and HBO Max users, all said they'd continue to pay for ad-free because the experience that they get, the value that they feel they're getting, and those were the three services that people said had the most value on average. They're like, I'm getting enough from these guys that I don't need to supplement it with advertising and I don't need to give up that part of the experience. Mm -hmm. So I, I think in all of these conversations, it really comes back to the value that you feel like you're getting. Do you understand why you're being asked to pay? And does the thing that you're being offered actually have value to you as part of that relationship with that brand? Because these, these streamers, these creators, they're absolutely brands. By the time they're getting to a subscriber-based model, they mean something in the mind and heart of the person who's willing to pony up that money on a monthly basis. We're going to take a quick break here, and when we're back, I'll get Anthony's take on what creator platforms could and should be doing differently. This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. I'd love it if you just indulge me for a second in this uh, <laughs> this fantasy that I have of, I don't know if this is a good thing or bad thing, and I want you to weigh in on this, but do you see a possibility of, the, say, Patreon, for example, having a model like a Netflix? Like, you pay one price per month, and you get access to all of Patreon's creators. How that would work on the back end of revenue splits, I do not know, but in looking at our poll findings and digging through the state of streaming that Fandom put out, I just was thinking in my mind, I was like, would that ever be a reality? Or or what would that reality look like? If <laughs> Patreon would say like, hey, you pay like, I don't know, 
20 bucks a month and you can have all access to like everyone who has a Patreon. I mean, we were just talking about the implicit contract, right? The fact that I pay you for this certain thing of value. I can't ever see a world where Patreon just opens the walls up and says, all right, you pay us $100 a month and we pay all of these creators because that immediately takes money out of the pockets of the individual creators who have built the biggest following. But, you know, we are talking about demonstrating value in a better way. So what if I paid Patreon $10 a month and every creator on the platform could kind of figure out what their free trial content is? You can't get it unless you're in Patreon's circle but you'll be able to access a little bit more than the average user could. You'll get a taste. It's that first, you know, it's that first dime bag, man. Like, how do we get you hooked and get you to spend a little bit more money on what we've got to offer, right? And I think that model for something like this, where you could dive a little bit deeper and know that, yeah, I'm gonna get just a little bit of everybody. I think that could be a really powerful way because then Patreon makes out. They've got a reason to keep that subscription going long-term. And all the creators have an opportunity to upsell, to merchandise what they can do in a way that they just can't right now. Is there a better way to think about the paid structure for creator content? Because like right now, I think of these platforms sort of grafted onto sort of the existing idea of like, okay, have a subscription model. Actually, let me back up and be very clear because there's a lot of creators out there who are not making like millions of dollars, but they're able to make like, you know, a decent enough living. So not everyone's goal is to be, you know, make millions from their Substack or from their Patreon, which is totally fine. But I do know in talking to a lot of creators, you know, over the years is that they always feel like they could be making more. And so just in talking with you, I just, I'm wondering if there is a better way to think about these payment structures on these creator focused platforms. Like, should they be thinking of a different way and not necessarily thinking about it in, a subscription format? If I knew the answer to that, I think I'd be a very rich man. I was <laughs> Everybody's gonna... <laughs> trying to figure that out. Um, you would be no longer working at Fandom. You would be well, on a yacht somewhere. It's a great place to work. Um, <laughs> but I think the challenge, and, and we've seen this a lot with creators, like I'm a Twitch streamer. Now I'm not going to be a Twitch anymore. Now I'm a YouTube creator. Now I'm going to yeah. go here and there. The platforms and the economics on the platforms are not always 100% aligned to the interests of the creative. And they evolve over time as market pressures change. And so I think that's really ultimately what's gonna unlock new models like this. Like they can't guarantee once they build something for these creators that they're gonna stay where they are. Grass Mm -hmm. is always gonna be greener, right? You have to focus your attention in a certain place in order to build audience. And because they're not corporations, they can't support customizing content for every single platform that's out there. So a lot of them have to pick, they pick their poison, they lean in, and then they start hearing the whispers from other people. And so I don't know that I'm answering your question, but I think the thing that makes the most sense to me is how can we build a model that benefits both? Like how do we really get creator focused instead of just paying that lip service? And I think that's where you'll start to see some of the change in that drift from platform to platform. Right. You, you absolutely did answer the question. And this hits on really the 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 overarching theme that we've been exploring this season on the podcast is helping creators find more equity on these platforms that they make big. I mean, these platforms wouldn't exist without creators right. bringing audiences to it. So in a perfect world, and I know this isn't necessarily your lane, but like, what would your dream platform be? If you were the person in charge, if you were given 
carte blanche to create a an amazing creator focused platform how would you structure it ultimately and it's why netflix and others have spent multiple millions of dollars on recommendation engines within mm. their own walled garden how do you fix discovery and ah. how do you help people find things that they're going to be interested in because i'm more tech savvy than a lot of people my age I get super overwhelmed getting into TikTok and getting into, you know, newer platforms yeah. like, you know, it just kind of washes over you and you find your way over time, but I'm sure I'm not seeing the most relevant stuff. There's always an account that I'm finding that I'm like, why didn't I know about this a year ago? Why didn't I know about this person? Because discovery and understanding what those channels are all about and how they all interrelate is terrible on those platforms. And so to help creators get a bigger share, to help them get in front of the right audiences, it's not just about what's popular on TikTok. It's not just about what's popular on Patreon or what's popular elsewhere. It's what do I watch on Disney Plus? What do I watch on Netflix? What are the types of content that actually take time out of my budget that I'm willing to dedicate time to? So you need someone that can kind of cross over all of those different categories and give you a single picture. Mm. And you know, if we had something like that, that yeah. would be really interesting. You hit the nail on the head with discoverability because that's something that I actually I asked Jack Conti, you know, CEO of Patreon last season, because that's something that Patreon it it doesn't seem like a hard flip to like switch to flip, to be honest, to make it to make it easier for if I go into Patreon saying like, oh, I'm interested in music or I'm interested in art, just to put in a few keywords and then find find people that I didn't know before and just discover new yep. new new artists new creators and you know he mentioned that that was something that he was thinking about but it's not like really a priority right now Patreon's primary value proposition to our creators is not reach we're not trying to get billions of people on the platform and be able to build like personalized content recommendation algorithms and discovery and and um, and that kind of stuff. And the reason we don't need to do that is because with just a few million patrons, Patreon is sending a billion and a half dollars a year to, to creators. So we don't need to get two billion people on the platform to have this amazing business building tool for creative people. Patreon is about depth of connection versus breadth of connections. I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, that would actually be amazing for creators. And it's something that because we've seen, I can't tell you how many TikTok creators I've spoken to that said, they have gone from like zero followers to like hundreds of thousands practically overnight because of the for you page because of that recommendation because they're people that you may never have found in this vast app all this content you discover because it's something that pops up and now they have these careers and so yeah no you definitely hit the nail on the head with like needing more discovery because that would just be honestly beneficial for everyone and i don't I don't see what the holdup is. Well, who am I? <laughs> part of the hard thing, like, I I think we're in a really interesting place as a wiki platform, right? Because we have 250,000 different fan communities, 40 million pages of content. We have all of this stuff, like this gigantic corpus of knowledge that people have about pop culture and entertainment. And there's so much we can do with it from an insights perspective to understand that connection. But the problem at the core of it that we've been solving for the last year or two is it's all user-generated content. When I'm the one building the content out, I can be very deliberate about structure and what fits into one what buckets. 
But the minute you open your doors and you let everybody upload and everybody kind of decide how they're going to be tagged and structured and, and set into that platform, it makes that discovery process and really understanding what every node is on that network much, much harder. And you can get better with it through AI. You can train models to understand as content's being uploaded, but the scale that we're talking about, the amount of new content that comes on and the way that trends pop up and go away, it's a daunting challenge, right? And so understanding how best to categorize that content, how to look at the relationships between things is something that someone much smarter than me is gonna have to figure out because you know, the minute you start unpacking it, it feels really simple on the surface, but the minute you start unpacking it and figuring out how to start building those connections and making those associations, it gets exponentially harder. And so to kind of sum up everything that we've been talking about so far, I mean, what do you see when you think about the intersection of content and what people are willing to pay for that content, where is that headed? I mean, I think we're ultimately reaching the limit of what we're willing to pay for entertainment on a given, you know, in a given month, on a given basis, the understanding of value is really something that like everyone that we talk to, everyone that we survey from our platform is constantly thinking about. It's all right, I'll, I'll subscribe here until I get exactly what I want and that show is over. Then I'll drop that and come back. I'll share this platform. Like people are doing gymnastics to try and fit in all the things that they want to watch and that they want to experience on an ongoing basis. I was actually on a call with a coworker earlier who literally yelled at me for not having watched Ted Lasso yet. <laughs> don't have Apple TV plus. He's like, just get it. It's $5 a month. I have no more room in my brain <laughs> to like pay for another thing, to watch right. another thing. Right. And so I think ultimately there's got to be some sort of scaffolding put on all of the options that are available across all these different categories to help consumers figure out what they're going to watch, what they're going to spend their time with. And something that really respects that it's not just about streaming shows anymore. It's not just about games anymore. It's not just about creators. We spend 30 hours a week on average as a society right now with entertainment. You figure, you know, we spend 40 hours working. We spend 50 hours sleeping. That leaves us like maybe a day or two for the rest of the week to do like to eat, to clean ourselves, to do laundry. Like we're running out of time to actually navigate all these options that we have available and we need some help. I think ultimately there'll be a company or companies that come to the forefront that can help us better navigate all of the things that are happening across all of the entertainment that we want to consume, help us prioritize it and figure out exactly where we're going to put our dollars and where we're going to put that time. Thank you, Anthony, for this. I truly, <laughs> truly appreciate your time. And I want that prediction to come true. I think you, you've, you've laid out a very nice future for all of this. And so we'll see if it happens. So. <laughs> awesome. All right, man, I'm going to go watch Ted Lasso now. That's all for this episode of Creative Control. Make sure you subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And as always, make sure you rate and comment as well. We'd love to hear from you. Fast Company podcasts are produced by Avery Miles, Blake Odom, and Matt Toder. Editing and sound design is by Nicholas Torres. Our executive producer is Joshua Christensen. Deputy editor David Litsky provided editorial oversight for this episode, as well as senior VP of entertainment, Scott Mebus. Scott Mebus.